to Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, the CEO and founder of She Leads Media. For far too long, women have been conditioned to sugarcoat their words, their actions, and the way they show up in the world, and to conform to certain cultural norms and ideals. This is inherently designed to keep those who are outside of the norm from gaining power, prestige, wealth, and influence, preventing more women from being recognized and respected as the powerful leaders that we truly are. Join me each week as we dive into raw conversations with remarkable, uncompromising, and inspirational women that will encourage you to strip away your sugar coating and move boldly in the direction of your magnificent dreams. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, and I'm thrilled to be able to share my guest with all of you today. Her name is Ramona Cedeno, and she has a long list of accomplishments, some of which are that she's a CPA, a CFP, a CGMA. She's the founder and CEO of Fibric, which is a fractional accounting and CFO service firm. She's the podcast host of In Great Company and also an author. She is super obsessed about financial empowerment, and I cannot wait to dive into our conversation today. Welcome to Sugar Coated, Ramona. Thank you, Adrian. I'm so excited to be here with you and having this conversation. I love the show. I love what you do and, and looking forward to just learning more about each other. Oh, yeah. Well, I can't wait to have this conversation because as we were speaking about just before, it is so important for women to really understand and wrap their minds around finance. So finance equates to power, right? And if we don't understand finance, then how can we possibly ever understand the power that we have inside of us and how we can express that power in the world? So let's just talk about how did you get into doing what you're doing? And you just help so many people. So let's just hear a little bit about your background and what you do for women. Sure. So I decided to be an accountant when I was 18 or 19. It was a decision that I made in a few seconds. I asked someone what they did and they told me they were an accountant. This was in the Dominican Republic where I was born. And I love what I did. And I said, well, my mom says that I'm good with money. So that means that accounting might be the right choice for me. Decided to be an accountant. I was still living there. When I moved to the U.S. within a year or so, I, that stuck with me. Went to community college, went for accounting, then went to a four-year college, continued the accounting major, and then got my finance uh, MBA. Loved money. And never thought I was going to be a, a business owner or a financial advisor to individuals. Just wanted to do something that I knew I was going to be good at, but I also liked. And that's how I went into accounting. I had my career in the U.S. in various companies. And one day, seven years ago, decided to start my own firm, Fibric. And initially, it was a way to help business owners that were not focusing on the finances or the businesses. I had worked for a startup and I noticed that the founders were so focused on increasing the customer list or making sure the product was good. And the finances were kind of, yes, we're going to make money. Somehow we're going to make a lot of money, but there was <laughs> no really like structure behind it. 
So I started my account, my firm and uh, was helping doing bookkeeping, tax, and and all the finance functions for these companies. But in the back of my head, I always remember that I used to feel really bad for the person, the person that wasn't making enough money, the person that didn't know how to save, the person that wasn't able to feel in charge of their finances. And I started kind of merging the two and saying, okay, I'm helping these companies. But at the end of the day, is the owner, is the employee, is the shareholder that feels what having this control over finances, over money is, right? It's not a company, it's the individual at the end of the day. So I kind of started uh, using my expertise and experiences with personal finances and I merged them into my business, my core uh, service. I had also uh, done my, gotten my certified financial planning uh, certification. So I had a lot of uh, education in the personal finance field. So I'm merging the two. And the way I help my clients is uh, and my community is either through my services and educating them as they are using our accounting, tax or fractional CFO services. But also as I'm talking to the clients, I'm discussing things that will impact their personal finances in the mm-hmm. five years, two years, 10 years. And then separately from that, through my education, the book, the workshops, the book, by the way, it's called Simple Choices, Big Rewards in Money. And the idea is to help everyone that comes, that crosses my path to feel, like you said, have power. But it's not a power that is negative. It's a power, it's a, the feeling in control of what they have, what they can do, and how they can help others with the money that they have, the money they can make. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a millionaire or billionaire. Hopefully we all are, but it's not about that. It's about the feeling that you have towards money. Mm, Gosh, I love that so much. And it's so true. I love what you said about, you know, helping companies. Yes, right. Because ultimately, hopefully, companies are there to help and support individuals. But but truly, a company is made up of human beings. And so even the people that are working for some of these companies, sometimes they don't know what the company is offering to them as far as savings plans and things like that. And then just earning a salary in general, where so much of your money goes to taxes and other things, there are so many different strategies that you can use, whether you're an employee of a company or if you are an entrepreneur and trying to manage your finances and you know pay yourself and everything. There's there's just so many ways that you can you know make sure that you are very cognizant of your money and your money situation. And then how you can use that to help further its growth and hopefully by that further your own, like you said, you know, power or, you know, empower yourself to use the money that you're earning toward whatever end it is that is going to make you feel joyful and and happy. So since we're so focused on women entrepreneurs and helping them to truly understand money, finances, personal, and business. What are some of the things that you see where women entrepreneurs are maybe not setting themselves up for success from from the beginning when they're starting their companies? I find that women sometimes feel 
threatened by the financial aspects of their business. Sometimes it's that they have grown up believing that they're not good at math, they're not good with money, or they just believe that they're more creative than practical, right? So it's, it's a belief and some of the, of what I try to teach the, the clients or those that I, that attend workshops or read the book is that we start, we should start with changing the way we think we are when we come, when it comes to our money, what we believe we can do, what we believe we cannot do. Sometimes it's not true until you Cash actually verify that that is the yeah. fact. But women that start a business a lot of times get stuck on the financial aspects of it. Now that's not the only thing, right? Business having a business is it has so many different, so many different components that you need to take care of to make it successful. The marketing, the relationship with your clients. But if the financial aspects are not taken care of from the beginning it is very rare that a business is going to be successful, at least not without like very big bombs. So when business uh, owners, female business owners come to me and they have this amazing idea and they are ready to go out and and develop this amazing event or, or market, start this digital marketing firm. And we start talking about the, okay, so how are you going to price your services? What is your mm. revenue model? Or do you have enough cash to de- deliver this amazing project that you have in two months? They freeze, right? And it's yeah. it's sad to see that, uh, or it's concerning to see that such a big factor of business success ha- is not thought through by the business owner. So if I yeah. want to summarize what you were asking me is that I think it's lack of planning, financial planning, forecasting, projecting what the financial side of their business is going to be. That is the, what I see as the biggest factor getting in the way of them yeah. being successful. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate because I do think that, and this is a, a generalized statement, but I do think that women are actually amazing planners, right? So, and especially being able to see things out into the future and and then adjust for them today. We are so good at knowing, you know, what's going to happen and how we can, you know, have three different avenues to go down should, you know, something happen in, in the future. I see that very much so. I have two well, they're they're not teenagers anymore. Well, one is, but young men in in my house, and even even my husband sometimes doesn't necessarily know how to think. You know, twenty five steps ahead, like I'm always thinking about all of the things that could go wrong and, and trying to adjust for them. So I, I don't necessarily think that it's lack of planning, but I think that what happens is because they are so fearful about the financial aspect of it that they almost block it out. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. <laughs> it's it's uh, like, it's I, a big barrier. Yeah. Yes. And that's what I meant. Uh, it was more on the financial side because I can use myself as an example. I'm a woman. Uh, as much as I am a finance expert, you know, the, those characteristics are going to be there. So one of my big goals is to go and do this huge speaking engagement. Like I get called to go to Las Vegas and speak in front of 2,000 people. And all I'm thinking wow. of is like, how I'm going to do this? I'm going to take this flight. I'm going to schedule two weeks ahead. I am going to do... 
But I'm not thinking about like, oh, if they pay me $3,000, it's not worth it because I'm spending $2,000. I do. Mm -hmm. I force myself to think about that because I am a CPA. But that's not the first thing that comes to mind. Whereas if it was a guy, I think, and I'd live with four of them, husbands, brothers, kids, (laughs) yeah. They would be like, oh, I'm going to make $20,000 when I go to Vegas. That's like the first thing, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's so funny. I don't I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, the manifestation part of it, which maybe it is. But yeah, there's this super confidence and this focus on how much they're they're going to make and they make it, which is was mind boggling. But but meanwhile, the the way that we even think that that first number, and I agree with you, that first number that comes to your mind is $3,000. And when you were talking, that's exactly what I was thinking. Men don't think of $3,000. They think 20. Yes. And then, you know, and then if they get 15, they're maybe they're a little disappointed. But the difference between 3000 and 15 yes. is a huge difference. And so one of the things that you know, I, I know it's about mindset and and your goals and not accepting less and, and all of that. And I think that that's a huge collective thing that we must all do as women. But, you know, how do we put ourselves in that frame of mind? And maybe it's just thinking, well, what what would a man ask for? And putting ourselves there, how do you suggest that women elevate ourselves? Because we have to we can't afford to just step up, right? We can't just say, okay, instead of three, let me ask for five. Right. No, we need to, we need to, what's the word? Like, um, you know, jump to that level and and stay there and sit there and feel what that feels like. What do you suggest women do to, to be there? I believe it's going to take many, many, many years before it becomes a norm for us to think differently, right? I see that we have accomplished a lot in some areas of our lives where we're like, oh, we don't accept, you know, people X gender to to treat us poorly or you know, the people to walk over us. We have come far now where we are like hesitant, no hesitant, but we are, we are cautious about getting into certain situations because now it is known to us that we shouldn't accept certain things, right? But when it comes to the way we we de- define our self-worth financially, we're not there yet. And I think mm. it's not going to come naturally for a while. So I believe no. the only way right now is to, if we can think of it on our own, is to ask other women who have gotten to that point, place, to that level where they are asking what they are worth, how do you do it? How Give me some tips. Look up to them, follow them, see how they are handling their career paths. Mm. That's the that's the person in the situation. What other women can do is help those women that are not there yet. So if I see someone, a woman that is going to do a speaking engagement or is working on a proposal for a big project, I, if I have more information than she does, I should give her advice, you know, don't jump in and give the first price that comes to your head. Don't ask for the first three thousand dollars that you think. <laughs> let's yeah. this out. <laughs> let's figure out like what is the market paying? What are you giving, um, bringing in that is ad- adding value? Do not just say yes. I charge three thousand. I charge five thousand. Do a more comprehensive, you know, 
think it through. Think through and get yeah. some data before you jump in. So it's really being taking a step back, thinking, breathing before we ask for anything and the sec- asking for help. And then the women on the other side, on the other end, helping those that are coming up and following our footsteps. That is so important. And, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, this is also where we can bring in our male allies, right? So oftentimes we we look at what men are potentially doing and we may turn to other women to for support as we naturally do, which I think is a beautiful thing. I think the other thing that we can do is also bring the men into the conversation so that we can have that real balanced perspective and understand what they're doing and how they're positioning themselves so that we can get that information and apply it in our own way. We don't need to be men. We don't need to do things like men do. But there is a lot to learn about how they're doing it so that we can take what works or what we think will work for us and apply it to our own situation. But what I'm hearing from the incredible advice that you just gave is to also not do these things alone. Right. Definitely not alone. Even with the many years of experience and having my company for seven years now and thinking that I do some things great, I still go for advice almost for anything that I do. I call a, C- a peer CPA, female, uh, male CPA, very good friends, a friend of mine. When I have to deal with the client situation, I talk to my husband who is in the same field as, as I am for certain conflicts that I might have at work with employees or a client uncomfortable conversation. I talk to my yeah. son sometimes when yeah. I have to do some marketing and I'm like, should I yeah. say this? So don't, no, don't do it alone. I think that's very good advice. And guys and men are great uh, source of advice. Yes. And I yeah. think that we should always reach out to get the two perspectives. I know I, yes. two perspectives. I go to, you know, a guy for some things and then I ask the girl, how would you do that? <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. And then you're like, well, which one do I do? <laughs> but, right, right. And it's taking, it's taking what works and, and applying it to your own situation. Yes. I do think that there was this shift where, we realize that men are are sort of winning, if you will, right, when it comes to money, finances, power. And so women tried to look like, act like, you know, be like men. And that worked for some, but it didn't work for the majority of us. And so it's like we swung in the other direction and started, which I think is also a beautiful thing, creating these communities with other women, but we were all sort of in the same situation. And so when you're all, you know, experiencing the same issue and you're you're kind of caught up in in the issue on in the problem and you see that the existing solution isn't working for you it's hard to outthink your yourself and that collective thinking right that group think so 
now, I, and especially even with this conversation, it's like, how do you pull that back into the middle and learn from both so that there's a new way forward? And I, I hope that that is what more and more women are doing. It's something that I'm trying to do in my own business, being very mindful of that, because I do think that there is, there's collective wisdom that we need to use so that we can move forward. Definitely. I think the female focus, women focus groups, communities are great because there are topics that we naturally feel more comfortable discussing with women first. But I have worked with men for so many years. I have worked, I have a lot of my clients are male and I have gotten great, great advice and support from mm. from male counterparts, from male customers. I have my best uh, advisors have been male just coincidentally initially when I started my business, or maybe because there were so many of them out there. Yeah. But, so, <laughs> yeah. so it was, it, it's great to have them. And, and I think that having that balance of, okay, I have a lot of women that are, partners, uh, friends, and and advisors that think like me, right? And uh, sometimes told me what I, a lot of what I am thinking, they validated. And then I have the men who will say, but no, you're not thinking about this right. Uh, Be cautious. No, you should do this. When I tell my friend, my CPA, my peer uh, CPA uh, friend that I told you, he, that how much I'm charging for a speaking engagement, he goes, Ramona, I already told you, we need to go to the next level. And I'm like, we, I love the sound of we. (laughs) (laughs) I like him. I know. know, Yes, he's amazing. So yes, you need both. And I think that uh, isolating or separate, you know, leaving one group behind because we don't think they will give us what we are, need in the moments that we are in the stage that we are in business or career, uh, that is that could be a mistake. Yeah. I, I want to shift focus for one second. So you provide a service, a fractional CFO type of service. So for other women who are starting businesses like this, oftentimes we do start businesses out of what we know, whether that's, you know, marketing, finance, we begin with maybe as a consultant, we offer services. And then we what I see is we get to a certain point in our business where we can't almost grow anymore unless we start hiring staff. And so that creates a problem because we've probably priced our services up until that point to just take care of us and maybe a virtual assistant, you know, for a couple of hours a week. So how do you suggest that women go from, you know, a solopreneur consultant situation into growing a business where the services can be delivered at some point by not just you? You know, I got this advice from a guy <laughs> a few years ago. <laughs> he he said to me, do not price your services based on you, you what you are doing, your time, price it based on, the, on what the client is getting, regardless of who is providing the service. And I thought that was mm. like, wow, how can I charge for you know, my staff and the, the same as I would charge for myself? 
But he said, no, if the if you're doing a tax return, whether you do it or the staff does it, they're getting a tax return. Now, it's the That's same right. thing. If, the, if you are doing personally the bookkeeping, you cannot charge your rate because bookkeeping is not worth that. So you have to keep that in mind, right? So when you start as a solopreneur, the pricing model should be based on what the market pricing is, plus the add-ons, plus this and plus whatever it is that you need to add in there, thinking taking into account your costs to produce this service, your taxes that you're going to have to pay. It's a big, you know, it's a big analysis to do. It's not just I'm going to charge $150 an hour. Oh, yes, you pay 30% of that in taxes. And on top of that, you're paying $10,000 in rent. What is left? So yeah. if you're charging, if you're billing your, your for your services correctly from the beginning, as you start adding new staff, you're basically expanding the service, ex- increasing the delivery of the services. And the rates could stay the same. You're still absorbing the the cost of the new hire because you're increasing your revenue. So you're adding one more hour of revenue and you're adding some costs, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a bigger, it's a longer conversation on pricing and, and and uh, profit profitability analysis, profitability analysis. But um, in theory, you should be able to expand and grow with the revenue model that you designed from the beginning. Now, mm-hmm. most solopreneurs don't start out that way. Don't no. start out that way. That's why it's very important. Just like we talked about looking for help and don't not don't not doing things along along is to attend these workshops and go to the these, these offices, the small business development centers, the small business services offices, go to, uh, you know, centers or attend conferences, and like she leads, where you can get advice and support that will prepare you to set your business right from the get-go. Yeah, I think that's so important to, to really get it right from the beginning. As, you know, it's it's funny. There is so much information out there and there are so many resources with the Small Business Administration and, you know, all the different groups like we NYC for the people that are in, you know, the New York City area, people that are all over the country. There's small business centers everywhere. And, you know, there's I've heard people say, you know, Google University. You can literally Google anything that you need to know. You don't, you know, this information is not hidden behind, you know, some wall somewhere. It's it's readily available. But with all of that, women still, you know, have a really hard time pricing their services to incorporate everything that you just spoke about. So they do put themselves, and I've done it myself, I'm, I'm talking from firsthand experience. Women price themselves based on maybe what their salary was in, in their corporate job as they were coming into entrepreneurship. And they kind of, you know, do a quick calculation. Oh, this is how much I was making per hour. Maybe they add a little bit on top of that to account for taxes. And then, you know, they're off to the races. And then that works for a little while, right? Because they're making some money, they're bringing in clients, but all of a sudden, the scope of what they're doing with these clients always creeps out into, you know, craziness. 
And they realize that that probably in the end, they're making $15 an hour. Or if they have to hire somebody to help them to execute, they end up paying the, the person who's working for them and then foregoing paying themselves. So I, I see so many women that are like in that situation. So it's ideal to start, you know, in, in the right place. But the reality is that a lot of the women that I know actually don't start in the right place. So we're in this, you know, conundrum. How do we get ourselves out of there? I think that that's a very complicated question. And this brings up so much fear, right? It may be that the clients that you have aren't the clients that are going to be there in, in the future. So could you just talk a little bit about that? Yes, we all go through that. And it is a complex question a complex situation, but we as business owners all go through that. When I started Firebrick, I had I started as a consultant. I was consulting for a larger firm and I remember getting that call to go for an interview with them. And I was at a conference similar to the one that you're having soon, she leads, and someone there was another fractional CFO there a guy. <laughs> and I asked him how, I said, I have no idea how much to charge them. And he said, he told me what he, he was charging. And I thought that was yeah. great. And I, since then, I always ask other accountants, other CPAs, other control, uh, controllers and CFOs, what are their fees? If we have, you know, developed a relationship, we, we can talk about these things openly. So I always say share, share when it comes to money. Share, be open so that you can hear others give you their advice and, and feedback. But when I started my pricing seven years ago, it's not what it is today. And it was really hard, even though I was pricing okay based on what another guy was pricing. Five years in, three years in, I realized that I wasn't up to market, right? And it was really hard mm. to make that change. And yeah. the way you, you, you said something that is absolutely right, you might have to let go of some clients. Those clients that have been with you for five years that are paying beginner's pricing, yeah. you you need to bring them up to current prices. And if they don't agree, unfortunately, it might be time for them to find another provider. But the, yeah. the, the easy, I think the low hanging fruit is when you get new clients. Realize soon when it's time to change your pricing and change it immediately for the new clients. And don't yeah. fall in the trap again, the trap that you fell in the first time of underpricing your services. Just go, yes. I, I, I always suggest to do like a test. I know in marketing, they do all this testing. Oh, let's do it one way. Let's do it this other way. With pricing, you can do the same thing. You have five leads. You say, okay, for these two, I'm going to give this price. And for these other two, I'm mm. going to give this other price and see what the reaction is. And that will tell you what the market is willing to pay for your services. You have to be ready to see the, the clients walk away if the price is yeah. too high. So you have to be ready for that. So mindset and empowerment are so key in this situation. Yeah. yeah. What, what's so amazing about that is that if you can depersonalize 
it, just like in marketing experimentation with like different creatives, right? Let's say you fall in love with the with the bright yellow creative and you put it out there and nobody responds to it, but they they like the, you know, the green creative. You go with the green creative, no matter how much you love the yellow. And I think if we can adopt that same mindset when it comes to pricing, you know, I, I think we wrap so much of our own personal value up into our prices, especially if we're doing marketing consulting and we've, you know, created this thing that we love so much and that we're so passionate about. So I I think, you know, mindset, as you said, is critical, but also this, you know, scientific method approach to experimentation and, and seeing what the market's going to bear when it comes to pricing, I think is such an amazing perspective to have. And, and it just reminds me, you know, I came out of the corporate em- environment and I, even though I loved all of my jobs and I, lo- uh, you know, I learned so much from them, I never had the same level of yeah, I wasn't invested as much in whether a price was this or a price was that or the offer was this or the campaign was that as I do for my own business. And I was, I think, a little bit more successful, if you will, plus there were so many more resources in corporate um, than I have been with my own company, especially on the market and consulting side, because it's so personal And there's so much of me that is wrapped up in what I do because I love what I do and I want to help people. And so I end up devaluing myself by giving away way, way, way too much. And it's a hard lesson that I've learned. And I'm not afraid to talk about it. It's a mistake that I made, but there's always the opportunity to correct and adjust. Yes, and I think that that is very common in this service providers and female service providers is to offer our services, our advice for free. And again, seven years ago, I was in in an accountant office in Scarsdale. He was a a CPA with 30 years in business. And he said, I don't charge less than X for a tax return. They're getting me. I am not going to do that. If they talk to me for 30 minutes, they're paying for 30 minutes. And I didn't do that from the beginning. But I do believe that if you think of what you're doing for the person on the other side, like if you're thinking, if you think of how you're making their life, their lives better, that has a value. And if they're willing to pay for that, why not build for that, right? Like if someone told me right now, I will get you a client around the corner. I'm like, oh, great, great. I'll give you $2,000 for bringing me that client, right? <laughs> like I don't have to go yeah. out and market. <laughs> so don't feel guilty. Exactly. Don't feel guilty about charging and about asking for pay. It's Because the other thing is I tell a friend that goes through this, is always giving free advice and always busy and doing extra, extra for his clients that are not paying for it. I say, Think of the time that you are investing in that person, those two, five people that are so time consuming. Think of that time, what you can do with that time for 20 other people by doing less or for yourself, right? So Mm. don't give your services for free and don't overspend your time on on some clients that might not be effective uh, in, in the way they use your time. Yeah. 
That is, I think, the most beautiful message to end on, right? Don't give away your hard-won value to someone else that's not willing to sort of pay for that and also be willing, if the other person doesn't see that value, be willing to, to move on. No, you know, no hard feelings at all. It's just that it's not right. So how can people get in touch with you, Ramona, and hear, you know, more about all of the wisdom that you have to share and then come to your workshops and events that you put on? The best way is to connect with me on social media. I am very active on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and also the website is fibric.com where you can sign up for a free consultation or just at Add your name to our newsletter where we share all the events that are coming up each month, the podcast announcements, and actually the the show is a live show stream on all platforms. And yes, if you connect with me and send me private messages, I respond personally to all my messages on social media. Look forward to hearing from all of you. And remember... Take control of your numbers, take control of your money, because the more empowered you feel, the happier you will be. Ramona, thank you so much. It has been a joy speaking to you today. I'm going to take a lot of your advice and apply it. So thank you so much for spending your valuable time with me here today. Thank you, Adrian, for having me. I love the conversation with you today. Oh, thanks. Me too. Take care. Me too. The She Leads Podcast Network.